Well, hello, everybody. It is Anne Eileen Thompson. Welcome back to the Faith Driven Leader Podcast. You know, we are here to equip and embolden one another towards really deep trust in our good Father God when it comes to our lives and to our careers. And we love to share stories with you from amazing faith-driven leaders. Our guest today is one of those. He's an amazing faith-driven leader. David Kinneman is the CEO of Barna Group. If you haven't heard of Barna, they are a, a leading research and communications company that works with churches and nonprofits and businesses, everything from film studios to financial services. And since 1995, David himself has directed interviews with more than 2 million individuals. He's overseen thousands of U.S. and global research studies, and he's also an author of a handful of best-selling books, including Faith for Exiles, Good Faith, You Lost Me, and Unchristian. I first met David many, many years ago when I had this crazy idea to do this longitudinal study. What that means is a research study that you compare the results year after year about the spiritual pulse in Cincinnati. So I reached out to David and he so graciously talked to me about my crazy idea. Sadly, it never quite came to fruition, but I was so impressed with David back then and I was truly honored to reconnect with him after I heard him speak at the C12 conference last spring. David has this passion for the next generation of entrepreneurs, and it so deeply resonates with me as well. And of course, our shared background in market research is really fun for me as well. But I promise this is not a conversation that is a couple of research nerds sharing statistical jokes. You're actually in for some really deep insight that I think will make you think differently about this next generation and really about our role as faith-driven leaders. Let's dive right in. All right. Well, David Kinneman, I am so excited to talk to you today. Thank you for joining us on the Faith Driven Leader Podcast. It is my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So David, some of our listeners, most of our listeners probably know you are the president of the Barna Research Group, which has been doing research on faith and the next generation as that next generation continues to age out. And then there's a new next generation for, for many years. And um, I heard you talk at the C12 conference, which was in Denver, in a, I think it was in the spring of 23, if I remember correctly. And I was so excited because you said that your personal mission was to energize and equip the next generation of Christian entrepreneurs. That's very close to my heart as an entrepreneur, as a Christian entrepreneur. I want to talk a little bit more about that and tell us a little bit about that mission for you. Why is that a need to energize and equip the future generation of Christian entrepreneurs? Well, I think you can look at that a lot of different ways. One is the fact that, you know, we live in a, a world that has been built by so many other entrepreneurs and ideas. I mean, ideas shape the world and institutions are effective ways of conveying ideas. So business environments are, are sort of set up to advance a certain vision of the world. And so I'm a big believer that we need, you know, uh, not only better ideas, but better institutions to, to to sort of convey those ideas. Jack Dorsey, the founder of Twitter, said that one of the best ways of sort of carrying an idea out into the world is a corporate structure. So yeah. I think uh, we need we need good businesses. We need good God-minded leaders who can work across various 
sectors in my devotions this season. I'm I'm actually just going through Daniel and uh, seeing all the ways in which this is a person who rose to at least the third highest position of, of influence in Babylon. And uh, he serves three different sort of kings from Nebuchadnezzar and uh, Belteshazzar and Darius. And he's very Babylonian. He's very able to sort of transcend, you know, sort of yeah. the, the the structures and the, the the challenges and the political climate of Babylon, even through three different regimes. It's pretty remarkable. And so here's a per, here's a person who's also very devout. And I mean, we as Christians sort of know his story because he gets yeah. thrown into the, the lion's den. But, you know, he's a kind of entrepreneur. He's a person who's able to sort of find a way to, you know, he's a, a political uh, entrepreneur, if you will. And so I think there's this real need for for us as uh, leaders to find our, our footing. And uh, I get really energized personally about this notion of trying to help equip uh, and educate and inspire people to see market opportunities as a researcher. You know, that's uh, we have to understand our customers and understand our audience and understand the needs. And so I think we're in a period of a lot of disruption and a lot of new ideas are bubbling up from the surface, whether they be corporate or political public life, whether they represent tech or entertainment or in the faith space, I actually think we're in the need for a lot of renaissance of, of, educa- of educational and spiritual institutions, because I think a lot of them were built for a different era. So uh, those are yeah. those are a couple of thoughts. I love the the analog back to Daniel as well. And, and so true. If you think about where culture is right now, and you kind of said, well, what happens if we don't equip and empower and energize and get behind this next generation versus what what might happen if we do? Mm-hmm. Contrast those for us a little bit. What what would you project or what do you see? Obviously, well, none of us can totally read the future. One of the ways to answer that would be the fact that uh, when we ask young people around the world, we did a global study called the Connected Generation, which was millennials essentially around the world. And then we did another one called the Open Generation, which was teenagers around the world. In both studies, and especially among millennials, millennials and Gen Zers in 25 plus countries that we interviewed talk a lot about the problems facing societies and issues related to corruption, climate change, ethnic uh, and, and racial disunity and, and, and injustice, poverty, and, and really this sense of like there's a huge percentage of young people around the world who say that we're struggling with a lack of leadership right now. And there's a reason why leadership, I think, is is more difficult because at, le- at least the best we can understand it is that, you know, le- leading in an era when everyone gets now uh, through social media technology, really a, 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 a clear way of critiquing and offering their opinions and, and perspectives, it's much harder to sort of have a sort of speak with one voice. And again, there's plenty of reasons why this is a be- beautiful era to lead, but it's also very difficult Speaking to a lot of pastors, for example, you know they lament the challenges of trying to lead people through political polarization and, and the challenges there. And people are being discipled by the algorithms and by their cable news feed and, and many other things. So, you know, I think what's at stake is really how can we build effective institutions in our in our society today, and you know, to to, to lead through the polarization and whatever side of the aisle you know your listeners mm-hmm. are on. You know, it's like we we all could agree that we need better leadership. We need to be led uh, with more courage, with more conviction, with more selflessness, with a greater sense of an eye to the future, not just the present. And and this is the challenge of human leadership through through the ages: is how do you rally people to something that's bigger than themselves for a vision that's 
longer lasting than the next, you know, the next political term or even the next 15 minutes. Uh, but yeah. I think we, what's at stake is, is this capacity to, to, to build flourishing communities and uh, how we go about that is, uh, is essential. And I think it's a, it's a fun and tall, a tall task, but I think that's been an area I've been, how can we lean into, you know, the, the kind of courage that's needed in this time? Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's interesting. I had a conversation with Dr. Kevin Brown, who's the president of Asbury University, where the outpouring happened this past spring. And and I asked him this question too. I'm curious if, you know, kind of how these answers might line up, but I, but I asked him, what does this generation need in order to, like, when we say we want you, you say that the, your mission is to equip them and empower them and energize them. What do they need in order for that to happen? Well, that's a great question. And I think we're actually hard at work in trying to figure some of that out through through research and through trying to understand, you know, the learning journey and the development process that people go through, especially in our kind of digital age. You know, so I mean, any entrepreneur is going to need a clear sense of their audience, their their mission, uh, what God's put them, you know, for faith for faith-driven leaders, they have to understand, you know, what is the the great need in the world that, you know, your calling can intersect with sort of a, a riff on the the the, the Beekner <laughs> quote. Uh, yeah. but I think this notion of um the right kind of mentors, the right kind of resources, the right kind of trust that even when things, you know, sometimes we can almost be over-resourced and uh, you know, sort of like we're we, we wait too long. I actually think I think younger leaders Generally, this is a bit of an overstatement, but I mean, all of our research is sort of gen- generalized stuff anyway. So <laughs> this notion that that I think there's uh, overchoice and sort of analysis by paralysis. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, or per- per- I should say paralysis by analysis and recognizing, you know, the kind of, you know, how do we help people take steps, realizing that that sometimes even the best lessons in life are things that you, you wish you could have done differently. And, you know, the Lord actually brings us to a vision of himself in part through through suffering or through challenges or through setbacks. It's certainly been a, a lesson I've learned in the 14 or 15 years since I've purchased this company and been a more explicit entrepreneur. I think I was sort of an implicit entrepreneur in ways, but uh, when I went about the company in 2009 from the founder, you know, you learn to trust. And so you have to like, oh uh, yeah, there's, there's some reasons why the lessons you learn through the hard seasons are actually as important as the as the benefits you get from the good seasons and making sure you really slow down to harvest to think to process to look at what do we learn when we failed what can we take away from this and and that's been a a discipline we've tried we've tried to uh you know embrace here at this business yeah i love that i love that and and you know dr brown was saying and i think this aligns really nicely that you know when he talks to students who are in this next generation that they want real, they want real stories from our lives, what we've learned. And, and not to say this is the lesson for you, but more to say, this is what I've learned. This is what I've been through, which really kind of echoes what you were saying. Right. And I think it's because exactly what you said, they they've grown up in this digital world of, and I love the phrase discipled by the algorithm. (laughs) And, and these days who knows what's truth that we're looking at through the media or in social media, that type of thing. So the real stories seem to be what resonates and allows people to really learn and grow and become the leaders that, that God has called them to be. Yeah, totally. Well, I think that's part of this whole notion of the kind of mentors that I think this new generation needs, you know, whether there's a lot of evidence that, you know, younger, younger leaders and millennials are, are really interested in 
the mentoring, the relationship, the the sense that they're being pulled into something that's, you know, a safe place for them to have a deeper conversation and to to risk some things. And we've made some, you know, really great I think we have a very young company uh here at uh, at Barna at our company. There's there's a lot of millennials and even some Gen Zers and it's great. They're they're they contribute, they energize the mission. We couldn't do the things we do without them. I learn a ton from them. I happen to have three Gen Z kids too. So uh, 24, 22, and 19, and that keeps, keeps me keeps me fresh. But I think it also is true that there, there is a set of expectations they have of, of relational connection, not, not just my kids, uh, certainly they want and deserve that. But I think there's a sense of, of we're, we're, the dynamics of our company is that we're a certain size, uh, just under 25. And so we're just bigger than a family and not quite big enough to be, you know, a, a company that is bigger than that. And and so then yeah. there's certain sorts of, of expectations uh, relate, relationally or, you know, opportunities because we're small enough that people get pretty big opportunities and that's great. And, but just, it's really interesting trying to find, you know, the, the ways of, of keeping everyone aligned on, you know, winning in the business environment. And that's a huge part of that is having great cult, uh, company culture. You know, we're, we're also yeah. winning at the, the development of the team and caring for people on the team. Yeah, for sure. It's interesting because I know there are some dynamics that are specific to that size company. You know, the garage group was was about that size, you know, when I was involved in it. And and it is an interesting size. We had an interesting mix of generations at the company as well. And I'd love to talk a little more about generational differences. I know you guys, you know, Barn has been doing research for so long. You've seen a lot of these trends and generational differences. Let's talk a little more about how the generations see the role of the integration of faith and work. Are you seeing changes in that? Like, how would you help us understand the differences between generations in terms of how they see the integration of their faith and their work? Well, I think the first disclaimer is that, you know, every human being is a, a unique created being. And so there are, you know, as I sort of alluded to earlier, it's easy to to trade in generalities and we're just about to get to some generalities. So stay tuned. Yes. <laughs> but I think it's important to say, you know, human beings are, are unique and there's in some ways nothing different under the sun. So, you know, every generation gets a chance to change the world and every generation comes through certain life stages at certain, at certain points and approaches their career or their family raising or whatever. Again, sort of looking at some of the things that are often overlooked. And, and I would say, again, as as a not a generality, but as a conclusion from a lot of research that younger people are discontinuously different in terms of the way they think about the world, because their world is discontinuously different from the world, at least the boomers and older grew up in. And um, I'm a Gen Xer, so I feel like I'm a bit of a, a bridge between, you know, <laughs> what was and what is. And that happens to be my life stage uh, being 49. And so there is a, a reason why I think I feel I feel a, a bit of a sandwich between my my parents who are aging and my kids who are, you know, launching at that stage that, you know, there's some really fundamental changes. First, the digital revolution has completely shifted, like the industrial revolution uh, has completely shifted the way we think about work, the way we do our work, the way we show up to work and tons of expectations in terms of just the personalization and participant sets of expectations that come with that. So the digital tools and having been raised in those environments with those tools, as opposed to sort of, you know, adopting them in or grafting them into a work set of work patterns uh, is a yeah. big deal. One of my colleagues, a, a friend says that if, you know, if you look at sort of digital technology or, or any technology that what's invented uh, before you're 35 
if if you are age 35 or younger when a certain technology comes along and especially the younger the better you know you sort of see these as as absolute tools and instrumental and almost like just the air you breathe for you know the way you show up in life but but also the, the workspace whereas if it's over if, if if you're over 35 when it comes along it sort of threatens the natural order of things and it's a and it's like this isn't this isn't the way it should be and the businesses are built where they have to adapt and you know sort of the yeah. pressures of market dynamics make them you know it's like you know businesses are going to embrace ai because there's money to be made money to be saved you know opportunities to be to be taken advantage of but you know young, younger people are going to generally do better at embracing ai as an example than older adults because it's just it's just the way the way brains work and there's actually quite a bit of social research that shows that's true uh, a great yeah. book um one of my favorites of the last year was called from strength to strength by uh, by arthur brooks who really explains the social research behind sort of career trajectories and how young younger people in their career how what he calls fluid intelligence and then towards the second half of a career you get what, what he calls crystallized intelligence it's sort of sort of th- new, new ways of thinking versus sort of more synthesized ways of thinking and both have real advantages but you know sort of younger people if they don't understand the powers of their fluid intelligence and especially the second half career people if they don't understand the powers of synthesized sort of crystallized intelligence and they try to 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 you know to exercise in the fluid space it it really doesn't go as well if they try to resist the, <laughs> the natural changes and he kind of he kind of makes the analogy that is very similar to um professional athletes that you know sort of it's much clearer for us to see the natural decline in in abilities uh in a sporting environment but but he's like you know actually our our cognitive capabilities and sort of how we show up in the workplace are are actually much more akin to those uh, muscle memory and patterns of, of professional athletes than we like to admit um so you know if you're a certain age you know you probably can't dunk on your powerpoint the way right. you did when you were <laughs> when you were younger so that gets back to this notion of how are younger people different they are now in a period of time when they have a real capacity for fluid intelligence so millennials and gen z happen to be in a period of time life stage wise when fluid intelligence and a lot of brand new ways of thinking are apparent and i think it's going to be really important for us as established leaders yeah. to find ways to partner with them because they are going to come up with some better systems just like we were able to come up with some better ways of thinking about problems when we were younger so these are some life stage differences but then they then relate back to some of the demographic changes that one of the other huge shifts and i'll just mention this because i feel like i'm just talking a lot but one of the huge <laughs> one of the other huge shifts is how human relationships have changed in terms of marriage childbearing and and raising and then the decline of other institutions so again what is different about millennials and gen z is they're entering a space where marriage for example is still important to many millennials and gen zers but it's different in a different way than it was to boomers and to, to elders having kids and raising kids is still important but it's it's important in a different way and and often again there's tons of data that shows young people are young younger generation married at later ages they're having their first and last child at later ages there's a huge shift from a, a society that viewed marriage as just one of the absolute normal things that people did the vast majority of people were married before the age of 30 you know a generation ago and and now that's just not the case so you don't have the same sort of at home relational resources to fall on again there's nothing 
good or bad about that. I, I happen at this stage of my life to be a widower and single and I'm learning a lot. And I love being a bachelor and I love being, being a single dad, you know, but it's also different than if I were yeah, married. Yeah. And so I'm, I've been, I've been learning a lot about the sort of the, the rhythms and paces of people who are single or who have unwanted singleness. And so, so I'll give it one more analogy. And this, I think helps to explain why millennials and Gen Z are, are in such a, an interesting and precarious and also a world of possibility. If you, if you sort of, again, it's, it's easy to sort of track back and I'm not looking at the past in some sort of gold, golden, you know, hues and like the past was really better than the present. I love our present reality. I love this generation. I love the possibilities of what, you know, faith-driven leaders can do in this world of disruption. So there's nothing like, hey, let's let's go back to the golden era by saying what I'm about to say. But it's it's pretty clear from a lot of social research that institutions that provide a kind of socializing structure, the formative institutions of family, schools, and churches, those are three we we form into who we are in those in those institutions. And then we sort of live our lives in two other areas, sort of the political and the political arena and sort of public affairs, politics, the civic world, and then the marketplace, our workplaces. Yeah. yeah. So school, schools, households, churches, our gov- local and state and national government, and then the marketplace. Well, I think you could make a pretty good argument that from 50 years ago, uh, four of those five areas have declined in their capacity to to carry the freight of a previous generation. Again, they weren't they weren't better, but they they were a more active sort of muscle group in our society. Yeah. So households were were able to sort of bear some weight. So I was married at 22. I was thinking about about this recently like what would I have been like if I went through my entire 20s without without my late wife Jill? It would have been a very different experience. I would have had a very different kind of career trajectory. Uh, I remember coming home so often in my early days of research being like, what am I good at? I really suck at this. And she was, she was just like, you know what, just show up tomorrow. You know, you're, I think you're better than you, than you yeah. think, but just show up. And you know, it was really a lot of her belief and a lot of her sort of steady steadiness that kept me in this business past those early hurdles, which were, you know, they were both sort of imagined and some real and, you know, those moments where, you know, I wanted to throw in the towel. So, so and, household- and those, those, those moments that are typical in your twenties. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And it's kind of the point. It, it feels like you're, I, I kind of, I think I know where he's going here and it's fascinating because, yeah. because essentially those constructs that helped us in our generation get through our twenties and even into our early thirties, they're not as strong as they were. And I'm talking about marriage and I want to again, say really clearly, because I'm sure listeners have a lot of different experiences right. uh, that there's nothing like you know, categorically better about being married uh, than about being single. And again, I actually yeah. think there's some reasons why younger generations are are rightly responding to you know to to the notion of sort of young young marriage. And again, there's a whole we're, we're not really here to talk about all the the pros and cons of you know early yeah. marriage, et cetera. But to, to finish that little thought about these five socializing influences, Households have sort of a, a, they're weaker in some ways. The expectations yeah. we have of households and childbearing, churches are certainly much less important among millennials and Gen Z than they were for boomers and elders when they were at the same age. 
uh, just in general, in general, faith and religion is viewed in a different way. In some ways, it's more. Yeah. It's there, there's a lot of vitality among faith among millennials and Gen Z. So I don't mean to overstate that it's somehow secular sure. generation, but the expectations of those institutions has changed. Um, schools and education, we have much more of a transactional view. How can you help me be prepared for the the you know the the best possible paying career I can get? Politics is obviously just a, an absolute disaster in in most of our in my <laughs> opinion. I'll just speak for myself. You know the the fragmentation. You know, we, we we certainly have some interesting times when it comes to politics. And so the marketplace, the marketplace is now the place that is getting the most, it's being asked to carry a huge, huge burden. It's mm-hmm. being asked to, it's, it's like this one train that we're loading all the freight onto, because that's why we rightly want our, our workplaces to be places of justice and, and equity, and we want them to do good in the world. And we want them to be, you know, fair and we want our career advancement and we want our relationship. So if you put the context of like the mentoring relationship that millennials want from their bosses, it's sort of like we want them to be our path. You know, the millennials are saying, or all, all of us, when you don't have the community around you from church or neighborhood groups or others, or, you know, like you feel the fragmentation, you're actually looking for the marketplace to be the kind of solution in the world that, again, on its good day, it can do quite a bit of stuff, and it actually does carry a lot of freight. But it, there's a set of expectations that are very different. So this all comes back to the question, kind of this larger question we've been talking about: Is our millennials and Gen Z different? Well, no, they're human beings. They have the same issues and pressures that any of us at any age in his, human history would have had. But they're being played out, I think, in a really interesting time in our late modern society. And uh, that's this is tracks back to one of the early p- points of our conversation, which is. What an incredible time we have to actually partner with younger generations and young leaders to reinvent and reimagine and and recast these institutions, families and households and, and parenting and education and you know government and leading and you know the role of the military and and you know like we like we're seeing this play out in in the Middle East right now. It's like what what is what is war and where is conflict and how do we how do we sort what we believe about these things how can we be educated in a way that actually helps us to propel you know for us as christians a good and godly and kingdom vision of the world and how do we you know use the marketplace and our businesses as places of personal transformation and purpose and you know and how can we actually give people some of what they're expecting in in the ways that are reasonable and and efficient for us to do so you start to look at like a human or a a human-centered design, a great concept, obviously, that that is in business circles these days. Human-centered design for our workplaces is like, it's actually like, no, we're actually trying to reimagine the role of a workplace because it actually, it, 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 it should and can carry quite a bit of freight of what it means to be a human. That's very interesting. It's, and that's a really compelling picture of how this all comes together. I'm curious when there, there's a couple of other kind of movements, I think, that are happening you know, the, the movement around diversity and inclusion, and which has been great. And if you add that into this, I'm curious, do you feel like, or have you learned that younger generations, well, let me, let me step back. I feel like when I started my career, you and I are about the same age, our kids are about the same age. So I'm feeling all the stuff you're saying, when you made the comment about technology, when you're over 35, I was like, oh, guilty. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> but when I started my career, I feel like there was kind of a a taboo of faith is over here and work is over here. And then as I've grown in my career, it feels like it they kind of came together a little bit. 
Yeah. Where are, are things now for for millennials and Gen Zs and, and the the younger generations especially? How do they see that? Because whether I'm a younger leader or an older leader, does the conversation about faith fit at work? Where else would I have the conversation? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of a, there's some both ends. So in general, I, I think millennials and Gen Z are really aspiring to a more integrative way of looking at these things. So okay. I think one answer is that the separation between faith and work, uh, the kind of the sacred secular divide doesn't persist in the same ways that it did before, uh, because young people want a more holistic way of showing up in the world anyway. But I think the practical realities of being human and compartmentalizing and the challenges of all that. And again, I think because there, there are challenges, I'll, I'll give you like my 90 second version of what what I think is is at the heart of the, the the church problems is that we don't know how to disciple people very well into the kind of full-bodied way of thinking so again if you look at if you look at churches as a an educating institution a forming institution we're we're really using tools that don't work to educate people a, a, a persuasive community we're losing some of our powers of persuasion because only preaching or only people coming, you know, 1.7 times a month, you know, it's like, you can't really be formed. You really have, you have to be educated across, you know, like anybody who comes into workplace or if you're going to learn any kind of technical skill, I mean, you need hundreds of hours of yeah. a very scope and sequence approach and you need to be almost catechized into be, into understanding your faith. And so I, I think there's some real challenges. Again, there's many, 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 many good things that are happening in religious communities and, you know, for that reason, we should be we should you know be excited and, and encouraging. But there's an opportunity for us to rethink how people show up. So that then means I think they they come with a more open heart to being to having faith and work integrated. But they still show up with a lot of ambition to make a lot of money, ambition to go out and change the world, ambition to be known and seen and recognized, ambition to be sort of the special. And those are again all good instincts. But how do they get formed in a in a community? A Christian community that says Here, here's a different way to, to see that. I mean, the book of Ecclesiastes, I think, should be required developmental reading for all of us who have ambition, for all of us as faith-driven leaders. And again, just reading it once or twice, great. I mean, but like, how do you let the words, you know, sort of sink in? You know, let the word of God dwell in you richly. And I think that's that's I think something that's missing from our church communities is we don't actually have the tools to let the word of God dwell in you richly and said the algorithms sort of help us self-soothe. <laughs> and, uh, and so I think there's some really cool ways. That's part of what I'm setting out to do in, in the coming years is how can we reimagine sort of Christian catechism so that we can actually create kind of a scope and sequence. Like if you want to understand the integration of faith and work, you know, you don't need like 10,000 hours of that, but you, you need more than just like one or two verses and a, you know, a poster you're going to have to, we have to show the way. And I think there's some, there's some real uh, opportunities in, in all that. Yeah. Well, I think that work sounds like that you have on your heart over the coming years is, is well needed. It's well needed. So practically speaking for let's, let's speak to our peers for a minute. The the folks that are, you know, in the, in this phase of their career where their learning has been crystallized a bit and, you know, <laughs> we're kind of the, we're the older folks now, what would you tell other faith-driven leaders, Christian leaders, Christians in the marketplace, kind of over 40, what can we be doing to feed into, to learn from, to like, how should we be interacting with the younger generation, not just from a feel-good standpoint, but but if if we know that part of our role is to continue to grow the kingdom through our own mm. 
testimony and through our interactions with people, what would you tell other folks like you and I? <laughs> well, I think that book is great. So first of all, you know, check out check out from strength to strength, or, or listen to Arthur Brooks give a, a a free version of the talk. I'm sure it's available. It's a it's it's every person I've recommended it to. They come back with a lot of a lot of insights. So I think for me, because I can speak very specifically, I have I've, I've sort of set an intention to practice crystallized intelligence well, you know, and to realize it's like a savvy veteran move where, you know, you know, you, you, you can't jump as high. You're not quite as quick on the court. You know, you don't have the natural, the natural, whatever quick muscle fibers, but like, you know, you let, you let the game slow down a lot and you just sort of like, you find the, the places to, to use. So you, you, you know, there's lots of catchphrases that, you know, we, we, we hear like you manage your energy rather than, you know, sort of your, your output or your schedule, but, but those are things that are, that are, I think, realistic. So I, I, you know, I'm trying to stay personally very physically healthy. I'm, I'm very careful to say no to a lot of things. And then, and then like just this last week, a young, young man from our, uh, our church took, said, Hey, what do I want to have lunch with you? And I say no to a lot of things like, okay, let's, let's, let's go for it. And it, like, like I'll say yes to lunches, but, but it's also like, you know how it is, you get a lot of stuff. So I'm really realizing how to say yes to the things that really matter and and with a with a sense of real like holy spirit what are you asking me to do here god what can i is this something you want me to say yes to so we went to lunch and aiden and i had a nice conversation smart guy just passed the bar, the bar 28 years old he's a helicopter pilot in the army uh, in the reserves now and uh, i had him and his wife over for uh dinner on friday night saturday night, saturday night. and we had a great time I bought him thai food and taught him nice. taught him a game and uh, yeah, it was really fun. And it's so interesting. Um, one of the observations that's uh, that I had that night, or it's been kind of kind of pressed on me in this, this season of life, is like when we get older, we we actually feel a lot younger than people perceive us to be. Um, <laughs> and so uh, I can relate. Yeah, <laughs> a- Aiden Aiden's sweet wife was like, "So do you think I'd be friends with your like your daughters?" And I was and I was like, "Because we're about the same age." And I was like, "Oh yeah, you're like four eight, four years apart." And so, you know, she's thinking of me at a certain, in a certain age set. So I, th- I think it's interesting how, and I remember this feeling, and I, I guess I still feel this way towards people that are older than me, where, you know, you sort of say, well, you're like, you know, you're, you're a few steps down the path, aren't you, you know, you know dad or mentor or whatever. So I think yeah. just embracing the season of realizing that God is bringing us into new, new rhythms. So for me, I've been very intentional about again it, it it's true that i lost my wife three years ago so it makes it a little easier to have this sort of like openness so i've moved and moved from california to texas you know i'm trying to learn new rhythms i'm i'm very conscious of am i doing this because this is like what i the way i think i'm supposed to do it or the way i used to do it mm-hmm. and i'm really embracing this season not as just a kind of a one-time reinvention to you know get to the another yeah. side but, but to really say okay god I'm like Let's actually find some some rhythms with this new this new season of life that you know that might bring glory to you and and in a corresponding time like our or at the, I should say at the same time our church has been going through the book of Acts and it's been a couple years since uh, one of my favorite sections of scripture because it's like this history of these men and women who are you know just following the Holy Spirit from yeah. sort of one city and to, to the next and sometimes you know I, I love sort of the way 
this very research oriented author in in Luke, you know, he he writes Luke and he writes Acts and he's yeah. he's very meticulous in his yeah. sort of reporting on some things, some things that are, you know, travel details, some things that are sort of um kind of the the, the real housewives of of Orange County, kind of the drama <laughs> between betw- between some of these yeah. men and women. And then some of the personal details just yesterday in church, uh, they were they were preaching on Paul's last meeting with the Ephesian elders in a place called Miletus, where, because it was too dangerous for him to land in Ephesus. So uh, Miletus is just, just I think it's just south of of, of Ephesus. And and they say, they, Paul basically gives his you know farewell speech and uh, like, you know, you're not going to see me again. And it's, and it's, Luke records this details, like they wept as they said goodbye. And so I, I get a little overcome by that because you sort of think about these human stories and, you know, like we have a chance to intersect young leaders, older leaders, and our lives really are so short. So, you know, I, my advice is just like really lean into the Holy Spirit who is asking us to to trust him with our very lives and yeah. to imagine that God is taking us to some new places uh, in our lives, whether that's geographical or entrepreneurial or relationally or whatever it may be, and to have a real open, open hand, open heart to that. That's really the lesson of synthesize of, of the sort of uh, synthesized time of crystallized intelligence, just being open, just being open, you know, acknowledging others, the great things that they do, trying to be a little less critic, a little bit more, you know, a little more hugs, a little, little less words, yeah. a little less perspective being offered and a little more listening ear. Uh, those yeah. are some things that I'm, I'm trying to take into this season. I love that. And thank you. I, th- I think, you know, what you shared was a combination of what you've learned in your work, what you've learned from this book that we will put a link in the show notes about that, that about that book for sure. And I'm going to order that, but, but also just what you've been through the past three years, three years, and probably some lessons and some learning that you never, you never wanted to learn, never knew you wanted to learn, I guess, and have had to go through that time and that challenge and what a beautiful place to be on the other, on, on this side of that at least right now. Thank you for sharing that. It was really beautiful. Yeah. So I'm curious, one last one last question, really. We talked about the older leaders and what advice you'd have for them. What about for younger Christian folks entering the marketplace, knowing that this is all what's happening for their peers? <laughs> what counsel or advice would you give younger leaders? Might be what you're telling your kids. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, one of the themes for sure is just to Im- immerse yourself in a Christian community and in the scriptures and in in ways of learning that are are not like you don't have to earn merit badges for God, you know, because I think that's one of the the cautions I would give to the way I see some younger leaders show up is sort of like what what should I do next? Okay, I did it, and I, you know, sewn yeah. the patch on. Now what? And it's like, well, that's great, but just like God doesn't need merit badges, and your your career doesn't need merit badges. You you do need some great experiences, and and especially the ones that really beat you up and are harder than you imagine and you may or may not really actually succeed in the way that you thought you would uh, those are those are going to be really really shaping finding a mentor continuing to pursue that i'm learning in this season that sometimes being a little less direct knowing what you want but 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 being careful not to say hey will you be my mentor or you know <laughs> like uh you know just being a, a little less like golden retriever about it and just a little more savvy, you know, cause, cause you know, like, what does that mean? So a few people have asked me like, Hey, will you mentor me? Will you just, and I'm like, I don't know. Like I thought we were the same age, but it turns out you're, you know, 15 years younger. Um, so I think, you know, figuring out who you want to surround yourself with is really, really critical. And again, as I sort of mentioned earlier, the book of Ecclesiastes 
is so critical for an for me as an ambitious person. I think just just yeah. memorizing huge chunks of that, the Psalms as well as a place to sort of express our something that's deeper than you know kind of the the, the logic of faith. And there is a place yeah. for logic and truth in that. You know, fi- finding someone who can mentor you through the scriptures as it relates to who God's created you to be uh, is critical. And then just be patient with yourself. You know, the Lord's going to continue to use you in all the ways that you know that He intends. You know, if you find yourself comparing yourself to others, whatever social media, whatever way in the in the workplace that you're like, but I'm not enough, or I'm not this. That it, I, I promise you're more than enough in the way God yes. sees you and the way you're showing up. And um, I realized uh, not so long ago that I don't ask myself like, what am I good at? Like I did back in my early days. And again, I think there was a, a healthy question that was ringing around in my head when I did that. But I also think I was I was just impatient with with myself. And again, my sweet late wife was such a different vibration than me. So she was just like, it doesn't really matter whether you're good at this or not. Let's just go, you know, let's, let's go raise some kids. Let's go do, <laughs> let's go on a vacation. You know, it's like, she kept me, kept me uh, grounded and, and, you know, and in a way that was, was, was so sweet and such a, such a yeah. gift in my life. But I think this notion of like, who will you travel with? How will you walk this path? Um, there's a, you know, a, a way of seeing our lives as, as sort of pilgrims and scripture really speak to this, like, you know, we're not of this world We're you know, we're exiles. And I think the Christian way of life is something that gives, gives real hope to the world around us. So, you know, how can you be that person who offers the kind of hope in Jesus that, that actually is, is possible. And, uh, yeah. that, that is not a series of things you have to earn, but, but truly the life of grace. Yeah. Beautifully said, beautifully said. So anything new coming up for you guys or anything new coming up for Barna these days? Well, we have lots of projects under under works underway. Um, I mentioned those two studies, Connected Generation and Open Generation. Uh, those are two projects that, you know, if listeners are interested, there's quite a bit about sort of the way to think about our customers. If you're a, a leader who's trying to figure out like what, what do young people in our particular country or our particular market, what are they interested in? A lot of the themes of vocational discipleship, you can check out a, a project I did called Faith for Exiles, which is which is really about kind of how do we disciple people in digital Babylon. I think that'd be a, a helpful resource for people. And we give away a lot of stuff for free. So you just go to barna.com and, and uh, check out uh, our research. So we really try to aim to educate and inform and inspire uh, leaders and Christian leaders towards understanding the times and knowing what to do. And we would love yeah. to have you be a part of that community. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we'll definitely include all of that information in the show notes. David, this has been uh, an enlightening and inspiring and enjoyable conversation. Thank you so much again for joining us on Faith Driven Leader. Pleasure, Anne. That was such a great conversation. I found it challenging. I found it inspiring. And I found it really hopeful. I hope you did as well. I'll share a couple of my takeaways. You know, David was talking about that in his research, he sees that a huge percentage, a majority percentage of young people are saying that we as a country are struggling with a lack of leadership. And just the reality that people are really, young and old people are kind of being discipled. Everybody's being discipled by something, as Mark Comer says, John Mark Comer says, but really we're essentially being discipled by the algorithms and our social feeds. So really as leaders, it's an opportunity for us to step up and say, how can we build effective solutions? How can we lead with more 
courage to kind of lean into this space. It's a challenging thought. It's a really challenging thought to say, am I allowing myself to be discipled by an algorithm and my social feed? And what am I going to do about the fact that people that work with me or maybe work for me in my organization are, are being led this way? The second thing that I thought was really interesting that David and I talked about was he was talking about this book from Strength to Strength by Arthur Brooks and this distinction between folks who are under 35 and folks who are over 35, which is probably plus or minus a couple of years, I would guess. But, you know, if you're under 35, you see all the tools that are coming up, all the new digital tools and all the technology. This is just kind of normal to you. This is the air you breathe. You adapt pretty well. But if you're over 35, many times all of this new technology feels like a bit of a threat to kind of the natural order of life. <laughs> but the reality is businesses, our organizations need to adapt. Like for example, we need to embrace AI because there's a lot of money to be made there. And because frankly, lots of people are starting to use it. So we need to learn to embrace it and figure out how we're going to embrace it. And generally speaking, the younger folks in our organization are gonna be better and more attuned to embracing these things. So how can we leverage this, what he called fluid intelligence of young people in our organizations so that we can learn to adapt and change even more in areas where probably we have some blind spots if we're we're part of the older generation like I am myself. <laughs> Third takeaway, I really thought that the conversation we had about the five socializing influences that David referenced was quite insightful. It was really intuitive, but quite insightful. He said there are these five socializing influences historically on people, on us as individuals, households, which used to be much stronger part of how we socialized. But in many cases, our households, the idea of the nuclear family, what's happening in our households has become weaker over time in many ways, not in all ways, but in many ways. Church historically has been a, a place where people are socialized and they learn about norms and they learn about themselves in relation to other people. And the reality is church is just much less important to younger generations and there are different set of expectations and it, they're operating differently and they're not as prominent as a social influence. School is the next one. You know, schools are still important, but they're not as important as they used to be. We're kind of just looking to check the box in lots of our education systems these days. Politics used to serve as a socializing influence. I think we'd all agree that politics in our country is is not very stable. <laughs> kind of a crazy situation there. Hard to use that as a socializing influence. And what that leaves is the fifth one, which is the marketplace, which is where we all play. And, and the marketplace is being asked to bear the burden of growing people up, teaching people what it looks like to do good in the world, teaching people what equity looks like and what fairness looks like and what what it looks like to do good work and to have great relationships and all of those things. And, and frankly, young folks are expecting that their bosses are going to be able to fulfill this when they don't. Of course, that leads to all kinds of of upheaval and things like that. So there's a, you know, there's a great opportunity in that. It'd be easy to look at that and feel like that's a big challenge. But you cannot, we can also choose to look at it and say, there's a real opportunity here, one that we can be really excited about. And then finally, my last takeaway, when we were talking a little bit about David and some of what he's learning about his leadership and what God is showing him, I was struck by his wisdom to recognize that he's in a season where 
he needs to learn to say no to a lot of things and, and really be discerning about what to say yes to and inviting the Holy Spirit into those decisions. What do you, what do you really want me to do? The reality is, as we get older, he said, we feel a lot younger than other people perceive us to be. So we have this role to be sharing the wisdom that we have and and being open to the wisdom that others have. And people are looking to us, who are those of us who are older, to see that that example. And we may not even recognize that we're old enough for people to be watching us in that. So, you know, I love when he said he wants to be more open and acknowledge others and the work that they do. He wants to do a little less offering of his own perspective and a little more listening less words and more hugs. That sounds like a great, a great stage to be in for sure. So my challenge for you coming out of this conversation as I really step back and reflect on it is, my challenge to you is whether you are a younger leader or an older leader, get a mentor from the other generation. So if you're younger, get an older mentor. If you are older, get a younger mentor. And, and my challenge is just learn from each other. Don't judge each other. Just listen and learn. Ask questions. Share your own story with each other. Be curious about each other and let that influence the way you live and the way you lead. I will tell you that Mariel, who some of you have met who works with me, serves this role for me. She's quite a bit younger than me. And I will tell you, she challenges me every day. She challenges my thinking. She's always pushing me to be relevant to both the younger and an older audience. And we learn from each other so, so much. It's such a beautiful relationship and I'm so grateful for it. I really challenge you, find a mentor from the other generation. But speaking of all that, speaking of how Mariel and I are kind of bouncing off of each other, we'd love to know how are we doing? How is Faith Driven Leader impacting you? Where are we missing the mark? Where are we doing a great job? Feedback is a gift to us. It makes us better. It reveals our blind spots and we would love to hear from you. So please reach out to us. You can reach us on Instagram or LinkedIn. Lots of ways to, to get a hold of us. And uh, you can look in the show notes for, for ideas on that as well. Well, thank you again to the incomparable David Kinneman for joining us today. We will chat with you next time on Faith Driven Leader.